0: 87% of the Americans are metabolically dysfunctional. And so when you add that on top of not getting enough sleep, it's really a recipe for disaster. And again, at that six and a half hour mark or less, we're seeing three times the rate of heart attack and five times the rate of type 2 diabetes. So it's dramatic.
1: Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy, and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. Has energy burnout become a state of normality that you have simply accepted at this point in your life? I know exactly what it feels like to be energy depleted wondering how I was going to get from one task to the next, dragging myself throughout the day, praying that the next day would be just a little bit better. Over time, after many doctor's visits, I was officially diagnosed with adrenal fatigue. And maybe you've been diagnosed with adrenal fatigue too, or burnout, or chronic fatigue. There's so many different names for it these days. But here's the deal. Chronic fatigue is actually not caused by our adrenals. Our adrenal glands that sit on top of our little kidneys are just messengers. And the problem actually starts... Inside of every single cell of our body, it starts with our mitochondria. Now, when we are in a state of stress, which most of us are these days, right? Especially that perceived stress when our cells receive the stranger danger messages, our energy producers, AKA our mitochondria, get shut down as a way to protect us. Not a good thing for us in general. So if you've ever struggled with chronic fatigue or exhaustion, especially in the morning or maybe after two o'clock in the afternoon, today's topic on why mitochondria are the key to unlocking your best energy yet might just change your life. I know it definitely did mine. Now, before I bring on Sean Wells to discuss what it takes to boost our mitochondrial function, I want to quickly sing his praises. Sean Wells is the world-leading nutritional biochemist and expert on health optimization. He has formulated over 500 supplements, food, and beverages, and is known as the ingredientologist, the scientist of ingredients. Formerly a chief clinician dietitian with over decades of clinical experience, he's counseled thousands of people and innovating health solutions such as keto, paleo, fasting, supplementation, all to boost mitochondrial energy. He has also personally overcome various health issues, including Epstein-Barr, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, depression, insomnia, and even a pituitary tumor. His book, The Energy Formula, has been recognized by both USA Today and Forbes. Let's bring Sean onto the show. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? This powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 500 reactions inside of the body. Now, magnesium is your best friend if you want more energy, better sleep, a humming metabolism, improved digestion, happy periods, and a happy mood. And luckily, you can quickly replenish your magnesium stores with my Essentially Whole's Magnesium Restore supplement, made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Now use the promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire first order at drmarisa.com/store. That's d-r-m-a-r-i-z-a.com/store. I will have the link in the show notes for this episode. You are definitely gonna want to try it today. welcome to the essentially you podcast sean wells how are you doing today
0: i am wonderful i just got back from peru i'm wearing my colorful amazonian tribe bracelet. i did ayahuasca and it changed my life
1: love 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 it amazing And your mitochondria, I feel like your mitochondria are just buzzing with energy today, Sean. And that's literally what we're going to be talking about today. You have such a knack for understanding the research around cellular energy and why... Either why we've got great energy or why our energy is going down the going down the toilet. Let's be honest. So many of us, it's like that. And you kind of have figured out what kind of nutrients or that we can use to support our mitochondria, but also why why many of us are really struggling with some of that nutrient deficiency. And now, before we get into what what we can do, because I'm I, I, I'm guessing you've got the panacea for chronic fatigue. <laughs> I've worked today. on it for about twenty years. Yeah, exactly. I would say so. <laughs> We're going to be talking about that, but before that, I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of why has this been your journey for the last twenty years? What what's what's the story around you trying to figure out how to get millions of us, including yourself, our energy back?
0: Yeah, you know, I I I grew up bullied. Uh, I came from a broken home. I struggled with obesity and disordered eating and um, pretty bad insecurity, imposter syndrome, all, You know, all these kinds of things that led to a lot of health issues and eventually led to me having Epstein-Barr virus, chronic fatigue syndrome, Hashimoto's, fibromyalgia, like I spent six months in bed. Uh, I eventually got a brain tumor some of these things really left me in a place where I was depressed and suicidal and not sure that there was even a way out. So mental health, mental well-being uh, became front and center and my health physiologically became front and center. And that's when I started to, to go to work on all this and eventually led me to become a, a biochemist and a dietitian And and try and make an impact not only on myself, but the world around me.
1: Mm. That is a lot, a lot to have gone through in your lifetime, right? Think about the autoimmune conditions, the tumor, the chronic fatigue, the viral exposure. I mean, so much going on there. And I can imagine there were definitely times where you thought, am I ever going to crawl out of this?
0: Right. I, I spent six months in bed thinking that... I would never contribute to society and that I would spend the rest of my life in bed in pain and inflamed. So uh, that led to me being suicidal. And I was already depressed, you know, with body dysmorphia and disordered eating and insecurity and and a number of issues I already had. So definitely had to figure a way out of all this or else I was just going to throw in the towel.
1: Hmm. It's something else to not have enough energy to function. You know, it's something else to not be able to show up, to not feel like you're going to be able to contribute. And I think every single one of us, at one point or another, has felt some level of like, "Am I going to be able to get up, or am I am I going to be able to get and do all the things that I need to do for my family, for the people that I love, for the work that I love?" You know, I I know I feel like we've all, to some level, have experienced that, especially at least in the last two years. Yesterday, I remember, you know, as you know, you've met the baby, you met Kingston. He is uh, hes so cute, but girl, he's, he is keeping me up. And so yesterday I ended up getting, I had a chance to sleep in and I had been, I had, I have a pretty serious sleep debt right now. And I woke up in most of my day yesterday, I was kind of in a little bit of a haze. Like it was as if someone had drugged me up with some NyQuil, and I was just kind of floating through my day. And I remember kept telling Alex, "I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I, like it's like my I was still in a dream state. Like my or my body was like praying that I still was. And so I still like I felt like that a little bit yesterday. So I'm super excited for this conversation because for some of us, Sean. The situation that I'm in right now, which is a a beautiful, amazing situation to be in, it's not really going to change. You know what I'm saying? So I'm having to bolster on a bunch of different other levels of like, if I'm not getting enough sleep, how do I make, how do you make up for that somewhere else? So I'm really excited for this conversation because I feel like you've really, in, in your research, in all the biochemical research that you've done around mitochondria, like there's just some times where people aren't able to get out of that second job or aren't able to stop caretaking for their family members or whatever that may be and they're up in the middle of the night like there's got to be other things that we can do to help support ourselves if if we're not able to get the much needed sleep and self-care that we we should be getting we just it just isn't in the cards for us at that moment so could you talk to me about what have you discovered on a biological level that can that can help support us cellularly even if we're struggling in some of these other departments.
0: Yeah, that's something I go through pretty heavily in my in my new book The Energy Formula is that idea of resilience and and allostatic load. Essentially allostatic load is like your stress bucket and that's what you're talking about and we all have varying sizes of stress buckets. And we used to be in generations past harder to kill with larger stress buckets because we were exposed to more temperature variation, right? We were hot and cold during the day. We weren't as thermo-regulated as we are now, like we it's 68 degrees wherever we go, in our car, in our home, at our, at our job, like, you know, and we always take our hot showers. And, you know, we used to have a lot more thermodynamic nature in our environment. And we used to go more than six to eight hours without eating like now there's uh, some data that says people are having something in their mouth 17 times a day you know that there's so much snacking and biting and nibbling and eating and meals and drinking and it's a lot and used to go long periods without that and all of that's called hormesis right when we're exposed to even the viruses and bacteria you know that's that could be a whole show on just that like my stance on those things there's the there's the idea of terrain it's a really fascinating topic to to dive into that the more we're exposed to the more resilient we are and the idea of using antibiotics and antiseptics and and antibacterials and sanitizers and you know all of these things removing all of these germs, so to speak, is making us weaker. It's making our bucket smaller, and so we're easier to kill now. And so, when you get that poor night's sleep, your bucket's overflowing, and that's the problem. Is is you know, and you need to be aware of that. And a great way to track that, you know, with all these uh, wearables now, is is HRV. Garmin calls it like body battery, but essentially it's it's the same idea. You use a whoop or a Oura ring, a biostrap. You know, you're looking at HRV, heart rate variability, and that's your ability to train or to take on new stress. Are you already overstressed? And you have to take care of your body. There is this idea of hormesis means that acute stress can make you stronger can take you up to another level, like going to the gym, doing a cold plunge, doing fasting that can make you stronger. It's when that type of stress is chronic, or if your allostatic load is already full that like, for example, if you're talking about cryotherapy or you're talking about intermittent fasting or, you know, the ketogenic diet, these things in a vacuum can be amazing for you. But if you just lost your job, if you just went through COVID, if you, you know, just got a divorce and you're trying to do fasting and you're trying to do cryo and it can be too much for your body, you can overstress your body. So these things that can be positive stressors at times, you need to be aware of where your body's at. And for example, with you, if you just went through several nights of not getting enough sleep, some of these things that could be great for you in the past may not be ideal on those days. And that's that's why it helps to like be aware of something like HRV. An example of mitochondrial health is when you don't get enough sleep, even like six and a half hours or less, it's been shown that you are acutely insulin resistant. And so what does that mean? That means that you're metabolically dysfunctional. This is one of the reasons that why when you wake up and you're sleepy and you're tired that you're like reaching for caffeine, you're reaching for sugar because your brain cells are actually firing more slowly. They're not synaptically firing as fast and you're acutely insulin resistant. So it's like being diabetic. And so you're not getting glucose into the brain cell as easily. That's where ketones become ideal, and that's why a lot of these people like love the bulletproof coffee and first thing in the morning, because eighty-seven percent of Americans are metabolically dysfunctional, and so when you add that on top of not getting enough sleep, it's really a recipe for disaster. And again, at that six and a half hour mark or less we're seeing three times the rate of heart attack and five times the rate of type two diabetes. So it's dramatic and you really do need that sleep or else you'll be in this state. And it's a state of inflammation. When you're in metabolic dysfunction, you're also in a state of inflammation and glycation and oxidation. This is all pro-aging, pro-biological aging and pro-disease. Almost all diseases are correlated to that metabolic dysfunction, which is essentially synonymous with mitochondrial dysfunction
1: so true, so true it's so fascinating like to be forty two to have a baby to be in the we call I call it this the season I'm in this season, but also knowing Sean that it, it's not doing, and I love, you know, get waking up to baby cuddles multiple times in the night and, and and Kingston wake me up in the morning in bed with, you know, it's so, so sweet. But I, I've, i it's like a little, it's like I'm getting chipped away at, you know, <laughs> just a little by little every day. And so there's so many other things that we are, we're doing as a couple, Alex and I, to mitigate the pending insulin resistance, the pending metabolic dysfunction. You know, where I'm, first thing I do is I do circadian fasting. You know, I try to at least do that. Then the first thing I do in the morning is get outside and get in nature, get in sunlight and do a walk to kind of wake up those mitochondria, to let them know I know they're there. And there's just a couple different things I feel. Like if if you are, you know, if you are that person who's struggling, you know, I guess the allostatic load is just tipping over that. My bucket has been running, (laughs) running over for a little, a little bit now. You know, what are some ways in which that we can bolster that? And I I do track my heart rate variability. You know, it's crazy though, Sean, it's often in the crapper. So it's kind of sucks to look at it. And I have heart math, and so I, I, I work on heart rate variability in the evening as well when I have some time. And you're absolutely right. All of these things, all of these things can help support the mitochondria if, if some of your lifestyle, knowingly or unknowingly, is wearing down on your mitochondria. And so it's so funny. I'm, I know I'm using myself as an example because I see where I am over here, and I'm like, okay, what can I do over here to mitigate the stuff I'm not able to change too much right now. Like once once things get back to back to normal, I'll lock all these things in too. And I know, I know you and I have had conversations about berberine, you know, and helping with insulin resistance. We've talked about intermittent fasting, talked about ketogenic diet. And like you said, in a vacuum, a lot of these things are phenomenal and in a short term can really move the needle. But you you do have to really gauge where you're at. But let's say Sean, you know you've gauged where you're at. And you're in, you're in the crapper. And so then, <laughs> then what do you do? Do you first try to do as the smallest amount of self-care to kind of get yourself back to equilibrium before you start to do some of these other things or or any of these other things that really begin to move the needle for your mitochondria? Are they just out the window until you can get back to baseline?
0: You're nailing it with, with self-care and and listening to your body and a number of these things like Red light therapy, like you mentioned, whether it's getting you know sunrise, sunset naturally, or using a red light that is hopefully like low EMF, but there's some That's better light. Thing. There. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a company I'm working with, BioLight, that makes a nice one. I, there's there's some good companies out there, but getting red light early in the morning, uh, late in the evening is ideal. Getting your blue light during the day actually is ideal but making sure you're not getting blue light into the evening. So you can wear blue light blocking glasses of which these are.
1: So it's okay that we're doing blue light together right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, like with the computer, like I said, I try and wear some of these, these glasses that they're kind of tinted a little bit, but they're not like the orange or red ones that I would wear in the evening. They're a little, little bit more potent. Because it's not natural to get that kind of light in the evening. That's that's blocking melatonin's release in the brain. And for thousands and thousands of years, we didn't have bright light at night. You know, so never. It's, it's very yeah, unnatural. Never. And to be eating late at night and doing all these things that are, that are disrupting our circadian rhythm is wreaking havoc. Uh, Dr. Sachin Panda has like really great data around. Meal timing and circadian rhythm. And I think that's important too, is is to, I like to eat during the daylight window because I think evolutionarily that makes sense. And to not disrupt your circadian rhythm, your sleep-wake cycle by eating outside of that. You know, it's, it's very unnatural, again, evolutionarily to be eating at 11 p.m. at 1 a.m. and, you know, doing these things that we do. Also avoiding, speaking of sleep, sleep hygiene is really important where you keep to the same sleep schedule. There's an idea that's known as social jet lag, where on the weekends, people stay up two, three, four hours later. And it's very much like traveling to Europe, let's say, if you're American, and then coming back, you know, Monday morning and expecting yourself to be fine there's a reason you're exhausted. You're disrupting your circadian rhythm and it's not ideal to do that consistently. Again, you know, maybe occasionally it can be hormetic. It could be a positive stress, but consistently to do that every Saturday and Sunday and then expect on Monday to be fine. You know, that's, and people are saying, I hate Mondays. It's because of what they're doing to themselves. Try and keep yourself on a, on a consistent Rhythm, sleep hygiene, where you're going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time, and you'll feel like your your body will respond better, even with less sleep.
1: Mm, it's so funny. And let's think about all the other things that we do on the weekends that we're not doing on the weekdays, right? Maybe alcohol consumption is going up on the weekends, processed food consumptions going up on the weekends, celebrating is happening on the weekends. Yeah. Like you think about all of those things, like they kind of add up. And I think what a lot of people will notice is as we get older, that rebounding on Monday from the weekend or losing those calories. Like you ever get on the scale Monday morning, speaking to my audience, and you jumped two to three pounds on Monday morning. And then it takes you until Friday to get back to where you were all just to do it all over again over over two days.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, like when when your blood sugar is elevated, you're metabolically dysfunctional. And again, you're in a state of inflammation. Your body's responding and putting itself into sympathetic nervous system state more your cortisol is up. You're holding on to body fat. You're holding on to water and you're in a state where health wise, that's, that's not ideal. And you're, you're holding on to your weight more. I know like when I get more sleep and I, and I do more to deal with stress and de-stress, I lose weight. Like sometimes it's been like on a vacation, I've had, you know, five, 10 pounds drop off in a in a time frame that doesn't make sense but it's it's literally because of you know leading up to that i was like overworking i was overstressed i wasn't getting enough sleep and you know your body's just holding on in this in this fight or flight sympathetic nervous system state you know where it's it's fighting for survival and it's trying to hold on to resources it's not in a an a balanced yin and yang like parasympathetic sympathetic flow type state where it's you know oscillating to what it needs it's more in a survival state and that's what we're doing to our bodies an interesting factoid i just got from uh, biohacking congress where i spoke on 10 cool ingredients that you need to be taking but probably aren't there was a presentation on PUFAs polyunsaturated fatty acids these vegetable oils that wreak havoc. And I don't think most people are aware of like how problematic they are. I mean, I talk all the time about ultra processed food. I talk all the time about high glycemic carbohydrate and how damaging these ingredients are and how pervasive they are in our diet. But these polyunsaturated fatty acids, think sunflower oil, peanut oil, canola oil. These are so pro-inflammatory you compare the data over 28 years, someone smoking two packs a day has 16% more likelihood of having cancer. Over that same 28 years, someone who eats a high polyunsaturated fatty acid diet has 86% higher rate of cancer. That's like five times the rate of cigarettes twice a day, like the two packs a day. So these oils, these rancid, oils that are in our diet that are so cheap, it's just, and then you add that to the the sugar that's everywhere. So you're, you're getting the high glycemic carbohydrate. You're getting the artificial colors. You're getting the artificial sweeteners. You're getting these polyunsaturated fatty acids. You're getting glyphosate and all this stuff like in our diet. I mean, that's going to wreak havoc on the mitochondria. And then add to that ultra processed food is, this is kind of complex, but is higher in deuterium and deuterium wreaks havoc on the mitochondria. It's kind of like a, a heavy hydrogen. So like impure water, ultra processed food, all of that's higher in deuterium. And that actually gums up the works essentially for the mitochondria. So bottom line is the solution is eat whole food.
1: Yeah. I was going to say- even your paleo or gluten-free chips or whatever, you know, you take a look at the ingredient list and you start to see those those processed oils in there. And, you know, I don't you're just you're paying a higher price for poison is really what it comes down to. Your organic blue corn chips, you're probably paying, paying a higher price for that poison it's destroying the liver. It's, it's, it's poking holes in the gut. And, and again, like you said, it's, it's wearing and it's gumming down our mitochondria to the point where they just, they hype, they basically just shut down. I mean, I feel like that's what's happening is that so many of us, if you're feeling so run down, you've got less mitochondria working for you.
0: Exactly. It's a double whammy when you've got dysfunctional mitochondria that are overworked and there's not enough of them. And when you do some of these things like use red light, do the ketogenic diet, do fasting, do high intensity interval training, do some of these hormetic stresses, what we find is not only does that improve the health of the mitochondria, but you get mitochondrial biogenesis. You increase the number of mitochondria. So now you're bringing more soldiers to the the war, so to speak, and your body can function a whole lot better. So that's, that's an important factor too is mitochondrial biogenesis.
1: Mm, yeah, that we absolutely have that ability to make more if we have the right substrates, the right food sources, the right lifestyle pieces in place. Now, we were talking about kind of wearing the system down and being in survival mode, which is, I just feel like so many people are in that state these days. And what I notice is that, you know, we are seeing much more nutrient deficiency, one, because processed foods have no nutrients at all in them at all. So you're not getting anything from there. But then when you're running in a survival, state, when you're running at that level, you just have to burn through more more nutrients, more vitamins, more minerals. And those are the very things that are necessary for cellular energy, for a mitochondria to function. And I know you just did a talk on the, the 10 nutrients you need that you don't know you need right now, but specifically around mitochondria, you know, when you, when inside of your book, what were some of the three to five nutrients that you felt, you know, really we, we could absolutely benefit from, we could gain from by adding them in?
0: Okay, so you mentioned it before, berberine, but even better is dihydroberberine, the active metabolite of berberine. It has much better bioavailability, no GI distress. Uh, Berberine outperformed metformin head-to-head in a study. Metformin is legendary as a glucose disposal agent at increasing AMP kinase, and so it lowers blood sugar, it improves insulin levels, reduces hemoglobin A1C, as well as the inflammatory marker CRP, improves dyslipidemia, improves all these markers of aging, telomeres and DNA methylation, and reduces almost all biological disease because they're all correlated to, again, metabolic dysfunction, mitochondrial dysfunction. So my number one ingredient would be dihydroberberine for anti-aging, anti-disease. It's going to preferentially store carbohydrate in muscle rather than fat. So there's just so many reasons to be taking it. After that, for the mitochondria itself, there's two nutrients that I really like, CoQ10, especially in the reduced form of ubiquinol. That's the better form, especially as you get older. That's a little bit more expensive form. Ubiquinone is fine if you're younger, but especially if you're maybe over 45, then I would say definitely get the ubiquinol form. And then it's kind of sister molecule and partner in crime would be PQQ. That's good for mitochondrial health as well. Next, I would look at NAD boosters. So NAD is a marker, a, a protector of the cell, a protector of mitochondrial energy, a fuel source essentially. And the boosters for that, there's some ingredients out there like uh, nicotinamide riboside, which is known as true niogen. There's one called NMN, uh, nicotinamide mononucleotide. Rhonda Patrick, Peter Atia, David Sinclair lean more towards the NMN, as do I. I think that would be the better form. There's one I've been experimenting with lately, though, niacin. It seems really straightforward, nicotinic acid. And this has to be the full-flesh version. And if you've ever used a mega dose of niacin, you know it. So it's called paresthesis where you get that kind of flushing and it looks like you have a sunburn for about an hour and you get some tingling. And especially if you're going to use the dose that I'm talking about that was used in the study, they used 500 milligrams twice a day, which is very, very, very large dose. And I've been playing with this and getting used to the paresthesia. You could, you know, work on using hundred milligram caps, maybe you know, often throughout the day and then work up to 200 milligrams and several times a day and, you know, work your way up. But in this study, this is really fascinating. This was young men and normally NAD, like this is where it's stunning. NAD like drops off substantially, like as we age and actually the, not only do we make less NAD, but we also break it down faster. This enzyme goes up as we age called CD38 or NADAs. And so in the study for young guys that already have high levels of NAD, to see the increases in NAD that I'm about to tell you from taking 500 milligrams of niacin twice a day, they saw 8X increase. This is insane. So I've been taking my niacin and I actually believe it's better than even getting NAD IVs. You just have to deal with this paresthesia and do the 500 milligrams twice a day. But like I said, you can kind of work your way up to it, but I do believe that you have to take the full flush niacin and not use nicotinamide or anositol hex these no flush niacins. I don't feel like the, the data, the preliminary data just seems like those won't work as well. So that's an exciting thing that I've been playing with and I can actually feel the difference and niacin Is a B vitamin and it has a big impact on inflammation, on dyslipidemia, on fat metabolism. So I feel like uh, you will see benefits across the board from using it regularly in larger doses. Next up are ketones, elevating your ketone levels. So, you know, being on a ketogenic diet is going to help. And you can do like a metabolically flexible one where you have cyclical and targeted ketogenic dieting. Doing high-intensity interval training, glycogen depletion will help increase ketones. Doing intermittent fasting or extended fasting will elevate ketones. Using something like dihydroberberine or metformin or some of these blood sugar ingredients will elevate ketones. And then there's ways to increase ketones exogenously from outside the body as supplements. And that would be exogenous ketones especially the R or DBHB form that is the most active form that's going to raise ketones the highest. So that's the one I'd use, especially the sodium form. In my research, we found that one increases BHB levels in the plasma much better than calcium or magnesium, interestingly. And then the other way that I really like is MCTs, but in particular C8 MCTs, caprylic acid, is the most ketogenic MCT. And so you can just buy C8 MCT oil or powder, and that's going to raise ketones as well. And that's something that you can add to your coffee, to your recipes, to things like that. I, I use that powder all the time. And that's going to increase ketone levels which is the, the alternate fuel substrate, essentially the, the cell is dual fuel. And if we're saying that most people are insulin resistant, are glucose intolerant, and they're not taking glucose into the cell as well, then this alternate fuel source of ketones is going to help that mitochondria get the fuel source it needs to create ATP. And so that's where that comes into play. One of the biggest, most simple hacks that I will give you. This is so simple, and it has to do with GLUT4 translocation. Meaning, like even if you're insulin resistant, glucose intolerant, and you know you're you're not making enough ATP and therefore not getting enough energy, and your mitochondria aren't working as well as they should, taking a postprandial, which means after your meal, stroll, walk.
1: Yes. <laughs> is so
0: profound at getting blood sugar pulled out of the plasma and into the cell to glute for translocation just 10 or 15 minutes, like walk with your dog, walk with your spouse, like whatever it is, just go take a walk. You know, it helps with digestion, get some movement, but it's going to be profound. Uh, and the, the data is staggering. Like uh, it's literally like a, cuts the rate of diabetes in half just by taking a walk after your meals. And I'm not talking about sprints. I'm not talking about an hour. I'm talking about 10 to 15 minutes of moving your body after a meal can have a profound effect. And it's good for your mental health too. So, you know, just, just taking a stroll, getting some fresh air and, you know, your dog will love it. Your spouse will love it. You know, whatever it is, like, just yeah, good to do it. get some uh, some sunshine or some some red light in the evening, and that's one of my favorite hacks.
1: Mm, it's one of my favorites as well. Even if it's after dinner, even it makes a huge difference. It's often dinner is our biggest kind of, our biggest meal, and we you know we talked about how eating when it's still daylight. And I, I'm wearing a CGM for half this year. 5 p.m., my body's like, is it bedtime? Is it time to like wind down? I guess immediately I become insulin resistant. And so I feel that. Sean, honey, we, I know you went into a lot of details and there's so much more that we you go into in the book. Can you talk to me a little bit about the book? And I I, cause I really want to point people to it because you are such an incredible researcher that sometimes it can be hard for us to kind of really get a grasp on all the things that we should be doing around our cellular health.
0: Yeah, the, the book is six hallmarks around biohacking and, and living a, a richer, fuller, longer life, uh, having more health span over lifespan. So uh, lifespan is how long you live. Health span is how long you live without disease. And so now health span is a, is a big part of the discussion of like, how vibrantly are we living? We don't want to just, you know, like I, I worked in nursing homes for years and you would see people in a nursing home for 20 years and maybe they're living to their mid nineties, but they're living with disease on, you know, 30 medications a day. And is you know, like, what is that quality of life? So it's not just about living a long life. It's about living a long, vibrant life. And that's what I go through in the book. There's these six hallmarks and it spells out the word energy as an acronym. There's experiment where I go into the blood work and the testing that you need to do, whether it's epigenetics or just doing advanced testing, things like the wearables, just getting your data. Then next is nutrition. I go through paleo, vegan, Mediterranean, keto, all these different diets. What works for you? I talk about what works for me, but this book revolves around bio-individuality and what matters is what works for you and what you're going to stick to. And that's, that's, what's really key. Then next is, uh, exercise. I go through a lot of exercise hacks. I talk about how important high intensity interval training is over low intensity, steady state, like cardio, like traditional cardio. I, I don't believe is nearly as effective as, as hit is, and I go through some hacks like blood flow restriction training, intraset stretching, where there's a lot of new data on how to get faster changes, how to get more muscle in less time, uh, those kinds of things. How important doing resistance training is to bone mineral density as we age. and one of the number one predictors of how we're aging is grip strength, and it's just an assessment of of really our Our muscularity, our dexterity, our muscle innervation—you know how well your brain is functioning with recruiting the muscle through the nervous system—and so just grip strength is just a sign of how well we're aging. And so that's, you know, those are things that I go through in that chapter. And then there's routines. Which comes up next? Which is circadian rhythm, which is planning your day, which is like when to eat and and when to exercise, and again going through like some of Dr. Sachin Panda's data. Then next up is growth, which gets into growth mindset, stoicism, the obstacles, the way having that like hormetic stress mindset of being very resilient in your mind, and then getting into nootropics, things like um, you know CBD and MCTs and Alpha, G, P, C, and these brain boosters. And then lastly is your tribe. And that's about like looking at these blue zone places in the world where there's super centenarians, people live past 100. And and what do these cultures have? They have community. They have tribe. They have a closeness. They have a connection. The Harvard study, the, the most legendary study, the longest running study of all time, looked at this longevity, and they've literally looked at everything to do with blood work, demographics, psychographics, uh, where you're from, the job you have, the money you make, who you're married to, disease states, everything that they could possibly look at. And the number one predictor of longevity was quality of relationships over everything else. So it's important also in that chapter, I cover like just living your purpose, having your why. We do see when people retire, they often die shortly thereafter or have health problems. And it's because they're not living their purpose. They're not having a reason to get out of bed. They're not living their their why. Like it's it's important. Simon Sinek has a great book called Start With Your Why that I love. And, and that's one of those things that's so enriching in life is living with real purpose and having a reason to get out of bed, having an impact on the world around you, connecting with people. So those are all the important things that are in the energy formula, the six hallmarks that I go through. I have 60 diagrams that are in there full color, over hundred scientific citations, it's 400 pages. There's an audible with my voice that you can listen to well uh, as well. It has all the stacks of supplements. I go through everything. I even tell you what brands and what doses and all the devices you want to use and apps. And so it goes through everything.
1: Love it. Love it. Love it. Sean, honey, well, we're going to have the link for the book inside of this show notes for the episode. And I am just so grateful that you really have poured everything into the energy formula just really giving us a, a blueprint on where to start. So I so appreciate it. And then thank you so much for coming on and just really sharing your knowledge, your knowledge base, because you you have dove so deep into this that even we've started implementing some of it, it's going to make a huge difference on our lives. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And I hope you get some good sleep coming up.
1: Thanks. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> It's pretty obvious that Sean and I share the same philosophy on energy production and insulin resistance in the body. And we both agree that we need to look at mitochondrial energy production in a new light if we are going to get our energy and longevity back on track. Now, I realize that some of the recommendations that Sean talked about today, you may have missed. I mean, let's be honest. This man is an ingredientologist, right? He is all about the science of those ingredients and what they do in the body. And I know some of those things may not have, you know, been on your radar before. So I do highly recommend grabbing his incredible book for free because it is free. You can just download it literally today, The Energy Formula. And I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode. I can't wait for you to go check it out. As always, thank you so much for listening in today on the Essentially You podcast. This show is always about providing you tools to rock your hormones and feel amazing in your body. Now, if there's someone who is struggling with energy themselves, and I have a feeling you know a couple people in your life that are struggling with that energy issue, definitely take a moment and send over this episode. Take a screenshot, shoot it on over via text, or you can share it on social. And when you do that, hashtag... Hormone Literacy or Hormone CEO, definitely hashtag me as well. And I cannot wait until I see you on the next episode.